Emily Rice is a film and TV composer best known for her work on the Netflix series The Island and the feature film Miss Juneteenth. She's also provided music and orchestration for some of the biggest composing names in Hollywood on projects like Alita Battle Angel and Star Trek Discovery. This episode, we discuss composing for picture versus composing for yourself, the cello, and Ennio Morricone. Stick around afterwards for the premiere of her new piece, What It Feels Like to Fall in Love. Welcome to Chamber House. Emily, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. This time during the pandemic has been, I think, kind of similar, but also kind of unique for everyone. And I'm curious how you've been finding it creatively and inspirationally and what you've been working on. Good question. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like my pandemic has gone through my own phases, you know, kind of specific sure. to me. I'm sure everyone else has had. Uh, I was working still kind of right up until around March or April. So right at the beginning, and I also moved apartments in that time. So I, I kind of was distracted from it for a little bit, which was great. And then once I saw my work had all wrapped up, I my head just kind of exploded with it because I was watching the news here. I was watching the news back home in England. And so I was getting kind of this double whammy of experiencing it. Like we would go into lockdown in LA and I would not freak out, but I would be like, okay, this is a thing. And then a couple of days later, you know, I'd be talking to my mom. She's like, yeah, we've just gone into lockdown. And I would sort of experience it again. And then when all the travel restrictions were happening, I was in two minds for a while. I was like, should I just go back to England and ride this out in England? Because like, otherwise, when am I going to be able to get to see my family and friends? And like, what is this? You know, no one knew. Right. At the beginning. We were like, oh, yeah, this will just be a, a month or a couple of months. And you know, here we are almost at the end of the year. And ultimately I decided to stay here, like in case work came in. And at the beginning, because I was so like absorbed by the news, like I wasn't doing any writing, couldn't get music out of me for blood nor money. I had people like wanting to, you know, do other little podcast interviews and things. And I was just saying no to everything because I was like, my head is not there. And then after a while, you know, I started getting back and like starting to pitch and and all that kind of thing and I'm sort of like now I would say I'm back writing and it's like not a problem but initially it was very difficult it seems like that's kind of been common for everybody we all needed a minute to be aghast before we could respond to it creatively and I think we were all experiencing like this really weird big shift but weren't necessarily aware how big the shift was initially and now we're sort of at this end of the year and it's still we're still kind of in the similar situation I think we're realizing it's going to be like this for a while and I feel like you know emotionally in my mood I feel like I've kind of evened out you know a lot more which um, is a relief you know there, there were some days where I would be fine and I'd be like this is great I'm like I just get to hang out at home and like listen to music and watch films and talk to my friends and other days I'd be climbing up the walls you know right. so Whereas now I feel like I've figured it out. You know, I see people when I need to see people. I work when I need to work and it's getting easier, I suppose. Do you have a memory of like, this was the first moment that you're like, oh, I think I feel inspired again. Yeah. When Ennio died. Oh, wow. Yeah. For me, it's it's funny because obviously he's this great film composer, this great maestro. And he wasn't someone that I, if you'd asked me to list my favorite composers, he wouldn't have initially made my list. But then when he died, I was like, I'm going to, let's like revisit some stuff. And I was like, damn, he is one of my favorite 
one of my favorites. But I went down this rabbit hole and I'm ashamed to say I was not aware of the cello album that he'd done with Yo-Yo Ma. I came across it and I became obsessed with this album, (laughs) you know, because obviously (laughs) starting my life, my musical life as a cello player, you know, Yo-Yo Ma is this great musician and and Ennio, of course. And I I didn't know this album existed and I went on the, the proper deep dive and that sort of triggered something where it was sort of hitting me so emotionally. It sort of like woke me back up in a way, right? you know, it kind of made me get off my backside and be like, Hey, you know, I can, it's all right. It's okay. Like I can write something. It doesn't, they, let, let's just see what writing feels like again. And so, yeah, I, I'd wanted to write a cello piece for a long time. And then I found this album and I was like, maybe now's the time. Maybe now I should start it and see what happens so the piece that you wrote for this uh what it feels like to fall in love is part of a a much larger work that you're working on yeah so what what we'll eventually hear at the end of this is kind of the first two two and a half minutes the piece at the moment stands around i've written maybe three and a half four minutes the rest is like much more in sketch form than what we'll hear but yeah i'd always just wanted to do something more like a concert piece I have always had in the back of my mind, maybe I'll write a cello concerto one day or try and write a cello concerto or something just on a bigger scale. And so I thought maybe I would start with solo cello and orchestra, you know, maybe write something that's like six, 10 minutes, you know, just just, just see what happens. You know, as I mentioned, I started my entry into music really was, you know, when I was seven and I started playing the cello. So the advantage that I have with writing for cello is that I do know the instrument you know, much more intimately than I know, than I can understand the piano or the violin or the kind of, for me, the canvas, you know, the possibilities out there for the cello and, you know, the the sort of the other, what we as composers would refer to techniques or, you know, certain things, you know, I want to write like a bunch of double stops in it and chords and I want to do this. And because I know, I know that the bow can do this and it would sound really cool. And, you know, and row was definitely the one that I wanted to play it as well. So uh, I mean, the piece is called "What It Feels Like to Fall in Love," and as you know, as we'll hear, is it starts pretty heavy. So. <laughs> yeah, it's dark, it's dark, baby. Yeah. yeah, but it has a turn where it feels. I don't know that hopeful is the right word, but it has a hint of that. Yeah, well, and, and once we get to the end, the rest that you don't hear, it then takes another turn. So, I mean, the, the title, I don't, I don't know how to explain myself. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I, I, I find that I'm full of contradictions in a way. So on the one hand, the title is significant, but I would also say it's insignificant. It's not about one specific thing. Obviously, like, you know, you might think it's about love or falling in love or whatever. But, you know, for me, like love is like this all encompassing thing and it can mean a lot of different things to different people. So, you know, if you're falling in love, it might happen as you're coming out of a dark place and then into something lighter or brighter or whatever. So it's just a title. It's just a title. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is, is I wanted to start dark and I wanted some kind of down in the mud kind of double stops, you know, Ro recorded it all in one take. I, I conceived it as something that would be done live. And I tried to write a lot of push and pull in it as well in terms of the tempo, which is kind of difficult with what we've done here because, you know, obviously Roe is playing live and then the rest is sampled. So to to do all the programming and figure that out was right. annoying, but it's, it's part of 
harder job. <laughs> my idea was always initially that Ro and I would kind of workshop it together. And I hope that we will, you know, after, after all of the pandemic stuff, um, because there are still so many nuances in the interpretation. But every time I listen to it, there's like a moment where I want to push it a bit more or pull it back a bit more or, you know, and trying to like realize that is kind of a new experience because, you know, so much of my work is for film and TV and I don't get the opportunity to kind of acknowledge myself as an artist. You know, I've, I've kind of mentioned this in conversations with friends where I, I don't consider, I don't think of myself as an artist, which... I don't know if that sounds weird to other people. I mean, being film composers and working in that industry, like you're it, a service, and I know. Yeah, and, exactly. I, and again, I know I, it keeps. I keep saying very unsexy things, but it is a service. You're you're serving a specific purpose. Yes, you're bringing your creativity, your perspective, your skills in reading narrative and points of view, and all that. But ultimately, your director is the one saying, "Change this, change that, rewrite this, rewrite that," and it's right. different when you're writing a piece. So, something that was actually kind of interesting for me to experience when I first sat down writing it is that often with film and TV, you know, you've got this deadline, and I know I need to hit this many minutes per day if I'm going to stay on schedule, and blah blah blah. Sure. And so when I sat down to write the theme, like the first day I sat down, I didn't get it. Like it didn't come and it wasn't like bits and pieces were coming, but it, the thing wasn't coming. And I was getting really frustrated with myself because I was like, well, you're trash then. Like you're terrible. Like you can't, like right. you can't come up with yeah. a theme today. Like, you know, and I suddenly kind of judging myself yeah. as I would if I was having, you know, writing for a project, like a film or whatever. Right. Like I, I have a deadline. I have to meet yeah. these. If I'm not doing it, then yeah. I don't deserve it. And then, I, and then I like had to have a word with myself. I was like, hang on, you're sitting in a pandemic. Like no one needs anything from you right now. You don't have to write two minutes today. You don't have to write this whole theme today. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that, that's hard because, you know, you're so used to being quick and making quick decisions. And whereas writing two minutes, sometimes I can do it in a day or two. I mean, this took, I, I went back and forth and I dipped in and out on this like over kind of weeks and months probably. And for me to like only have two minutes at the end of that seems like I'm an underachiever <laughs> suddenly, you know, which is weird, but I had to kind of say, okay, no, this is, this is a very different thing and you can, your process can be different and that's okay, right. you know? Well, I think too, like we, you know, coming from the film composer perspective too, like it's almost easier to write the stuff because you know that at the end of the day, you're not the one who has to be the final judge of it. You're, you're, you're doing it kind of for somebody else. So, and I tell you, you are hitting the nail on the head, like right through my heart right now. <laughs> this is the thing <laughs> when you are writing it, not for a film or whatever, you're writing it for yourself or for a performance, you have to like it. And I think what I find very hard is for me to now hand this over to you put it on your podcast people are going to listen to it and I'm kind of saying I like this here you go world and that is terrifying right. and that is really terrifying at least with film and tv you can always hide behind well this is what the director wanted you know and it's it's right. terrifying <laughs> you know when I first started composing I did start composing away from picture you know and I wrote a couple of like little string quintet things and since then it's all been to picture so it was very, it was a weird 
experience going back because I was like, well, what am I going to write about? Like, what's it about? How do I, how do I even structure this? You know, at least a visual, the picture will give you a, a roadmap or, you know, I was just like, huh, do I have it in me anymore? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, that was interesting to find out and to see what would come out. It definitely is the type of thing where it's like, it is there. Like it's, it has to be there because you wouldn't be able to do film and TV if it wasn't. It's almost like if we don't tend to that muscle, oh, yeah. then, it, then it atrophies No, totally. Bit. And I, I always, I remember when I first started, someone referred to composing as being a muscle. And I remember one of my big fears when I first came here and was about to start the film scoring program, I remember asking one of my teachers, I was like, how am I going to get faster? Like I'm not, I'm not a fast writer. And he just literally said, you're going to write every day. And I didn't think it was that simple. I sort of didn't believe him. You know, I was like, oh, what do you mean? I'm just going to write every day and it's going to get get faster. And that's exactly what happened. I do worry sometimes, oh, you know, if I, and especially because before I started this piece, I hadn't written anything really for two or three months, which is an incredibly long time for me to, to not write yeah. anything. I, there was that fear of, can I still do it? How do I do it? Where do I start? Who am I? What am I doing? <laughs> you know? So it was, it, it, it was... I don't know. It's it's a funny old game. It's a funny. It's this part of it that I will never understand as well. You know how it all psychologically fits together. Well, Emily, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And now, what it feels like to fall in love by Emily Rice.
What It Feels Like to Fall in Love was performed by Ro Rowan on cello. Chamberhouse is produced by Dabney Morris. See you next time.